Hi there, Robert Fleming here from Fleming and Curdy, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. I'm chatting with my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. Welcome back, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me, Robert. And we're going to talk today about personal property and how to handle personal property when you are administering an estate. Um, remember, everybody, please, that we are Arizona lawyers and we know a thing or two about Arizona law and we don't know very much about the law of other states except those things we happen to have bumped into over the years by, by accident. So we're going to talk about Arizona law and practice. Be careful if you try to generalize it to other places. Check with your own lawyer. But we want to discuss the obligations and the different approaches that the administrator of an estate might make or take uh, when dealing with personal property. Uh, for our purposes, we're not going to care whether that administrator is the trustee of a trust or the personal representative of an estate in the, in the, uh, in the probate uh, arena um, or is doing what they're doing in some other kind of informal way. The rules and the questions and the problems are all going to be pretty much the same. So Elizabeth, here's the question. Um, if, if one of my family members, let's say a parent just died, I'm in charge of administering their estate. I have a house full of stuff. The will or the trust or the instructions that I have, they don't tell me exactly what to do with this stuff, except that it goes to the kids. I'm one of the kids. How do I figure out how to dispose of all of this stuff? Have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> So that I'll was very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I also want to want to presume in this particular case that all of the beneficiaries of the estate will take equally under the document, meaning that everybody has an equal share of the estate. Well, one of the first questions that I talk to administrators about, if it's not Fleming and Curdy who is acting as the trustee or personal representative, when we meet with an administrator and we talk about what's in the house. One of the first things I ask is, are you aware of any property of significant value? And when I say significant value, that means something different to everybody. But if there's property that is from uh, an owner of an art collection or somebody who had a passion for collecting jewelry or coins, I'm specifically asking if there's property that might be, say, above a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand dollars in the house. And typically, the administrator can give me a sense very quickly of whether or not they think the personal property is of value. If there's property of value, then we have to step back and see if we can segregate that from somebody's old tablecloths and linens. Um, in other cases, when a administrator says, I can't identify anything that I think would be of tremendous value. We often say start with a photo inventory. See if you can see what's actually there. And I think from that point of view, we can then quickly see whether or not there may be things to donate or there may be an opportunity to talk to the family about going in and selecting property. Longtime Tucson residents might remember that there was a case a few years ago in which the, the administrator of an estate decided that there was nothing much of value, put it all in an estate sale. Uh, somebody bought two paintings for, as I recall, 45 and $60, so $100 more or less total for them. Turns out that the paintings were worth tens of thousands of dollars, and, uh, and lawsuits ensued uh, against the buyer of the paintings and against the 
the estate sale operator and against the lawyer. I mean, everybody uh, had potential liability for not noticing the value. I suppose that happens pretty regularly, right? That That's a real common experience. No, I think that's pretty unusual. In fact, in cases where we have an administrator who says, I'm really concerned because I have no idea if the property is valuable or not, we'll connect them with a few professionals who may be able to go in and walk through the home, take a look at the furniture, the art on the walls, the china in in the different um, areas of the house, the jewelry, and actually just by a look, let the personal representative or trustee know if there may be things of value. Oftentimes that is a way to reduce the liability for the administrator to actually have some professionals walk through the home and give an opinion. I will say this creates a very slippery slope when we start to look at the administrative costs related to administering an estate. Sometimes people come in and they say, well, I know I have to inventory everything and get everything appraised. And I say, well, let's talk about what that means. Not only can that mean the state will incur extreme fees that may not yield a benefit, but it may be that by talking to the family, um, the family just feels that everything should be donated or they want to go in and see if there are things of interest. I think the personal representatives and trustees we work with often want to just do their very best to be fair. And I'd pause here and just explain, when we get to personal property and you're trying to distribute your personal property equally, there's really no way to make that perfectly fair. We can reduce an heir's share of the estate by the personal property he or she received, but in reality, that's an incredibly difficult exercise. In fact, it's our experience over years that people tend, rather than minimizing the value of their personal stuff or their family's stuff, they tend to overemphasize it. So it is routine for us to have a client come in and say, uh, my mom just died, she has an estate, a house full of antique furniture. I'm, I'm conservatively estimating that it's worth $100,000 and of course it, it ends up being worth $2,000 or $5,000 or something far less than the family thinks. That's true of jewelry, that's true of coin collections, stamp collections, almost everything we see. It is not universally true. Sometimes people do underestimate the value, but more often they overestimate the value. I think it's an, a very important first step for any administrator to make sure that the property is secure in an estate. So here at Fleming and Curdy, we have a wonderful property manager, and her role often is to make sure that the locksmith gets in the date after somebody's died to change the locks to the property and make sure that things are secure. Because if property starts to disappear, whether or not it is of tremendous monetary value is a sep separate issue. But property disappearing is a bad thing. So as an administrator, really your first responsibility is going to be to make sure that the property is secure so that you have time to go in and see what's actually there. And if necessary, get professionals involved to give opinions and potential appraisals. And, and that really keys to what I was saying before. Uh, if there's an antique brooch that has disappeared, everybody will remember it was very valuable. It's important that you keep it, if you're in charge of administering the estate, that you keep it intact long enough to get some sort of value. Uh, and then if you end up giving it to the very person who might have liberated it had they been allowed access to the house, that's fine. But at least you have some realistic number to attach to it. And the other siblings don't think that they just got conned out of a $10,000 brooch that turned out to be worth $150. 
And I'm going to pause here to just make a note about the ethics of all of this. It is so important for the administrators who are working on an estate, particularly if there's more than one, but it's very important for everybody to consider any self-interest, um, any conflict of interest, any self-dealing. This is, this is a no-go zone in our practice, so if we're working with an administrator who may have a personal interest in the estate as a beneficiary, we make sure to explain to that person that they have got to treat everybody equally and that by no means can they double dip. Um, that, is, that is grounds for me terminating my representation of an administrator if I see an administrator trying to self-deal. What about uh, and the mechanics? I still have this household property. You haven't helped me get rid of it yet. Um, and, and my brothers and I, we get along pretty well most of the time. Um, although, to some extent, mom was the glue that held us together, and she's not here to, to continue to exert her authority. And by the way, I just would like to disclaim, I am not actually talking about my own family here, if, if any of them are listening. But a typical kind of scenario. Um, and uh, and I've got to figure out some way to decide who gets the chairs and who gets the artwork and who gets the jewelry. How, how can I do that? I think the way that I encourage people to start is if you've got family members who get along reasonably well, why don't you pick a date to all go over to the house get different color sticky notes and give yourselves 30 minutes or an hour to go through the house and just tag some of the things that you're interested in. After you've gone through that exercise, if more than one person has tagged an item, it's time to pause and discuss it. But oftentimes people are really surprised. They thought that they had overlapping interests, but in fact, they didn't. And so what could have been a big issue, they're able to decide pretty quickly, um, isn't one. And so one of the things I encourage people to do is let's, let's see if people can get along initially, go through and see what might be of interest. If after that exercise, there are only three or four pieces of interest to each person and nobody has any overlapping uh, conflicts of interest about a piece of property, then what I encourage the administrator to do is sit down, see if the property may be of value, talk to the beneficiaries about whether or not they want to assign values or if they want to agree to sign consents and just distribute it out. After that's done, it's really time to look around and see if things can be donated. I, I caution people about going to the next generation, going further down the family tree to then let in um, daughters-in-law or sons-in-law, grandchildren, cousins, nieces and nephews to let them start picking property because that often is where we see ripples and, and more conflict evolve. And so after the initial heirs have gone through, when I say initial, I mean the qualified beneficiaries of the estate. They've gone through, they've looked at property, they've decided what they'd like. At that point, the administrator is really in charge of what happens next. As it happens uh, in administering this estate, I'm represented by a law firm. Let's call them Fleming and Curdy. Uh, can I just turn this over to the lawyers and, and have them make the decisions for me? Because I'm just not sure I can face the personal anxiety and dealing with my brothers in that emotion-laden context. You certainly can, and we're happy to assist. The bottom line, though, is, is that if you are the administrator of the estate and you want to remain the administrator, you're ultimately going to be the one who has to make a decision. We can make recommendations. We can have our property manager help organize a round robin or a system where people are um, sharing their interests about property and tagging items or 
putting in requests, but the administrator ultimately is the one who is in charge of making a decision. And I'll tell you, this is an important point. When we start working with families who say that they want Fleming and Curdy to be in charge of advising the administrator about distributing property, keep in mind that those costs are important to assess up front. So if people start bickering about a $500 sofa, <laughs> I'm gonna let them know that they should just go buy their own $500 sofa and it's not worth our expense to try and resolve that conflict. There are lots of creative ideas out there and you just reminded me of one that my own family, actually this is about my family, my wife and sister both wanted the family china they went out and bought a duplicate set that had the same pattern, same number of pieces. They had somebody intermix them and then they split it in half. And so each of them has approximately half of the original china from mom and, uh, and nobody knows which pieces are really mom's and which ones come from some other mom somewhere whose kids didn't like that pattern. Um, the point of that story not being about how clever we are, but there are ways to solve those kind of low-grade family disputes, and, uh, and we can help you if we're your lawyers. Um, we have some experience in this area. Well, thanks. This has been a fun conversation about personal property, and it is a challenging task to administer an estate. Getting counsel really is a good idea. It's what we do, and uh, there, we're not the only game in town, but we are Fleming and Curdy, PLC. We practice elder law in Tucson, Arizona, and my name is Robert Fleming. I've been talking with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, and we will have more conversations that we hope you will join us for on another occasion. In the meantime, check us out online, elder-law.com, and we will talk to you later.